The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. We good today? It's good to see all of you here today. So a quick bit of just an update from Vision 24 last weekend. Uh, you guys voted last week, the budget all and the elders and everything all passed unanimously. Uh, we, we talked to you about this idea of Operation Chair, to fund a chair and change a life and uh, needing to get some new chairs here. It was kind of cool. You can still do that today on our app. There's a lead item there, the featured item there. You can go to our website and do it, all that and more. But there's a guy after church last weekend who was kind of real aggressively going, okay, how do I do this? And talking to people, he, he talked to a person who understands how to navigate through the whole thing, and he wanted to get three chairs. And so she's talking to him about it, and he said, well, why do you want to get three chairs? Like, you know, you're you and your family, right? And he said, oh, no, these chairs aren't for me. These chairs are for the new people that God's going to bring here to Cross Point. And I just love that because what Justin just said there about this is not just about us. We always want to do things, find ways to say, how do we how do we create more space for people? You guys have parked far away and sit close. It was exciting to see that even at the start of service today, there's still parking spaces out there for people that are still figuring out how to navigate through parking and get here. So way to go on that. We talked about a, a new service time on Sunday morning starting April the 28th, 9 a.m. and 10.45 will be our service time starting April the 28th. Now, in order to do that, we, so we need about 50 people to jump in. And last weekend, this is awesome, you guys, 25 of you said, yeah, put me in somewhere. So that's awesome. That's amazing. Give yourself a hand. That's awesome. Way to go. There's still some more work there to do. Uh, and so like Justin just said, if you're not yet serving anywhere here, or maybe you're not serving on a weekend service team and you could jump into one of our teams right now, we'd love to have you jump in there. Uh, connection crews set up and tear down our tech team, our band, uh, greeters, hosts, all that and more. And our children's ministry, as we open that up, uh, as we start that service on April 28th, it's our hope that we can have our birth through fifth grade up, going, running, full, full bore. That will depend on you, you jumping in and jumping on one of those teams. It's two weeks on, two weeks off at just one of the services. We need people at the Saturday night, 545, we need people at the 9, we need people at 1045. We need people everywhere. And uh, it'd be exciting for you to jump into one of those teams. Now, we're going to open the service, and if it means at the beginning we'll have kids in here all together with us, like a family service, we do that once in a while. We're excited about that. I look around today, there's all kinds of kids sitting here. We'd love to have you guys in here with us, and then maybe we'll roll out uh, gradually uh, the classroom spaces because we want to make sure that it's a safe, a, a significant, and an exciting experience for both the kids in those classes and the volunteers that are our team members on there. So check that out on the back of the connection card or on the app if you're using that today. You can uh, put down there, hey, put me in somewhere in children's ministry or one of the weekend teams. Jump in there and make that happen. And like Justin said, this Tuesday for Take 10 Tuesday, and especially this Friday, we're going to bang down the doors of heaven. We're going to knock so hard on the doors of heaven, we hope we put a hole in the door to tell God we want you to do something here because this is only going to happen if you're involved here, because we can fill up the place with doing all kinds of gadgets and gizmos and marketing stuff. We want people to encounter and experience Jesus here, and that will change life, change lives in dramatic, powerful ways. So be here, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Be here for some part of that time. People come early and some people come back later. Just however long you want to stay here, be here on Friday for that. Romans is the series we're in right now. And like they do in all good 
series that you watch on Netflix or Hulu or Prime, there's always at the beginning of every episode like a quick recap. We don't do that every week, but here, uh, just a recap on what Romans has been about. For those of you that are newer with us, those of you that haven't been paying attention at church, and those of you like me that I thought, what did I talk about two weeks ago? Here's Romans for you, the quick overview. God says, I got the gospel, the good news for you, and it's amazing and fantastic. God's going to save the world because the world's a mess. And the reason the world's a mess looks back at you in the mirror every morning. You're the problem. It's not them out there. You and me are the problem. This thing called sin is in us, and we need to be saved from our sin. And we try all we can to try to get right with God, to jump through religious hoops and all that. And Paul's going to tell us, we've been talking about it the last few weeks. Nice try, pal. If we are the problem, we can't possibly be the solution. And then Pastor Justin last week delivered this fantastic message. If you didn't get a chance to hear it or watch it, go back and look at it on our YouTube channel, Cross Point Church Temecula. Just check it out there. It's this idea, but now. But now. God's done something. Not but now we got our act together, but now God has done something. And what the old school theologians called it back four or 500 years ago is called the great exchange. That when Jesus comes and lives and dies and rises again, and if we entrust our life to him, this beautiful exchange happens where all of my sin and self-righteousness and rebellion gets credited, the old school word is imputed to his account. And because he's infinite God, he takes it and it, it's gone. And because the, the cross paid the penalty for that and, 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 and delivers us from the power of it. And then the exchange is we get the righteous record of Jesus Christ credited to our account. When you become a Christian, you don't get all your old stuff just wiped away and now you're clean. That's certainly what it is. But then it's like but, but kind of why the church I kind of grew up in, okay, God saved you. All right. You're clean now. Get your act together. You better start putting some things on the ledger for God. God goes, Psh. when God looks at you today, no matter what you have done, no matter what you are doing right now, and no matter what you will do in the future, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus died for me, and I've surrendered my life to that, he says, what I see when I look at you, when I look in the file, and your name, like Frank's name pops up, Steve's name pops up, he says, all I see is the righteous record of Jesus Christ, the perfect life that he lived. That's the great exchange that happened. And the good news about this is it's not just for people who come to church. It's for everyone who will believe. He says at the end of chapter 3, after all, is God the God of the Jews only, like the few, the chosen people? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles too? And he goes, well, of course he is. There's only one God. And he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we're church people or non-church people. Uh, he says, well, then, if he, he makes himself right with us only by faith. And then it's like, well, if it's only by faith, if faith is the big deal here, faith is this new thing that God is doing here, so maybe we just forget about the Bible? He says, if we emphasize faith, does this mean we can just forget about the Bible, forget about the law? He says, of course not. When in Romans you see the word of course not, what you need to hear there is absolutely not. No stinking way. It's a big, huge, no way, stop. It would almost be going, shut up. No, that's not what he's saying here. 
He says, of course, that only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. What he's going to tell us here is when people have thought, if you grew up going to church like I did, here's what you heard. The Old Testament, Moses and Abraham and all that, that's all about the law. Do the law. There's like the Ten Commandments. You the law. And you can make yourself right with God by obeying the law. But then Jesus comes along and there's grace and there's faith and it's beautiful and powerful and amazing. What I want to tell you today is this. Grace and faith has been the deal from the very very beginning. That's not a new thing that just Jesus went, let's change all this up. It's grace and faith consistently, what he says. And that, uh, that the only way really to, to really fulfill what God gave us the Bible for, the only way we can do that is when we have faith in God. That the reason God gave us all the rules, the reason God gave us all the Bible both the Old Testament and the New Testament is, is to not say, okay, how can we suck it up and just believe enough and try hard enough, hoping like the show, I don't know if you saw, ever saw that it's been around for a few years now, it's now streamed on the good place. The idea of if you just hope that your good deeds are better than your bad deeds, you can make yourself right with God. And Paul goes, Psh. the truth is your bad deeds are always going to be more than your good deeds. He says, so, Here's the point he's making here, and he's going to make this point several times here in, in Romans. Probably eight or nine times he's going to say in one way or another, the thing that you've got to get into, we have to get in our heads, is this. It's belief, not behavior. Write that down today. It's about belief, not behavior. And that's great, Paul, for you to say that. It's belief, not behavior. And again, remember I've told you guys from the very beginning here, Romans is not so much a a letter as it is like a courtroom drama script acting out here. And so the other side over here goes, hey, Paul, you can say that, believe not behavior. Prove it, pal. And that's what Justin just read. He says, look, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. Those of you who didn't grow up Jewish, didn't grow up going to church, any kind of stuff, there was, there's the great nation of Israel, the, the Jewish nation today. You know what that started? A man and a woman with no kids thousands of years ago, Abraham and Sarah, he was like the, that's where it all started. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he'd have something to boast about. If Abraham was like one of the few guys on planet, the guy, look at him. He's doing it right. All right, Abraham, I'm going to bless your life and give promises to you. He goes, that wasn't God's way. For the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous not because of his behavior, but because of his faith, because of his belief. That's in Genesis 15, 6. There's a thing. We have a few people here that are, you guys, some of you guys are involved in the legal profession. Some of you have been involved in the legal profession for not good reasons. But there's a thing in the Bible, and not the Bible, in the law called, it's a famous Latin term. I'm not going to use that Latin term because I don't want to impress you too much today. It's called standing in precedence. That the longer something's been a law, the longer that, like, the farther back you go in our courts where the, the Supreme Court or there's a law there, boom, that's the thing that's in charge. No matter what else happens here, and we're very reluctant over turn. He says, look, I'm going to go back not to Jesus to tell you that Jesus brought this way of grace and faith along. His Abraham was counted as righteous because of his faith. And if Abraham has the standing and precedence to say from the very beginning, long before Jesus arrived, it was grace and faith that made us right with God, then that's for us too today. Jesus just continues that and now makes it fully possible because of the cross 
and the resurrection. When people work, verse 4, their wages aren't a gift, but something they've earned, right? Do you guys get a paycheck as a gift from anybody? I have sarcastic comments about that that I will edit myself on. You earn a paycheck, right? But people are counted as righteous. It's not a paycheck you get. It's a gift that you're given uh, because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And he keeps stressing this idea of faith, faith, faith. And some people go, okay, so what does it mean to have faith? Do I feel something? I just, I have faith. Jesus says you don't need to have a lot of faith. You have a mustard seed of faith. It is, look at me for a second. It is not the amount of your faith that matters to God. It's who your faith is tethered to. It's who it's anchored in that matters uh, to God and matters to you because everything else should tether your life to if it's not God and Jesus is, is never going to work. Uh, so it's trusting God. Here's If you want to write this, it's not going to come up on the screen, but it's this. Faith is just trusting God enough to do what he says. That's all it is, just trusting God enough. It's not about being all inspired and I'm going to go climb the mountain and I can crush mountains, I can crush giants. No, whatever God puts in front of us, trust God enough to do what he says. Now, the big warning label on faith Jesus' little brother articulates this really well in his book called James. Uh, and you can write it down this way. Here's the warning label about belief and faith. There is that versus in. And some of you are going, what is this, some avant-garde art project thing here? What are you talking about? There is the kind of faith that believes that something is true. Like believe that Jesus is real, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. You know who believes that? Demons believe that. There's a belief that and belief in, which is mean I'm going to surrender my life and submit to life on it and do this. You guys all exhibited some level of faith in thousands of ways every day. You walked in today and you saw a chair that was real, right? You saw go, that chair is real. It's there. And I believe that chair can hold me. When you have faith, it's you actually sit in the chair. You believe in it when you sit in it. There's all that. There is uh, the idea, too. How many of you here believe that it's a good idea to eat healthy and to get good exercise? How many believe that? How many actually believe in that? Yeah, less hands went up, right? Way less hands went up because there's the believing that versus like, okay, I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to surrender to that my, for, for my life around that. And he's going to tell us here, that grace, write it down, grace from God is not a paycheck. It's not paid, it's a present. We're going to sing a song today called Reckless Love. And one of the lines in there, I love it, it says, I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. If you could earn it or deserve it, Jesus was honestly a joke. If one person could earn it or deserve it, because none of us could earn it, none of us could deserve it, uh, that's what makes Jesus amazing. And he has used Abraham as the prototype example here. As, hey, he, by faith, in trusting that God, God told him, hey, through you, someone's coming from you who through all the nations of the earth will be blessed through a descendant of yours who is going to come someday. That descendant eventually came, was a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus. That's how the whole earth was blessed through Abraham. Uh, and then he brings out another uh, key witness, another person he's going to try to. He, Abraham, the founder of our country, and then a guy named David, the greatest king Israel ever had until Jesus showed up. Verse 6, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. 
without doing anything to earn it or deserve it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Every other religion in the world is going to tell you, you know who's responsible for your sin? You are. You know who's responsible for cleaning that up? You are. Jesus comes along and goes, you can't clean yourself up. The only one who can clean you up is me. And you in faith believe that, that what I did on the cross 2,000 years ago counts for you today to forgive you of your sin and redeem you. So you can't behave your way in to faith. You just can't do it. So he's given this big statement. It's about belief, not behavior. He's given us some witnesses here. Abraham and David to tell us, to prove this, that it's not just some new thing that Jesus came up with, and yet he still anticipates, like a good lawyer in a courtroom, you can hear the courtroom drama here, somebody going, hey, but... So I get it, that God wants to save people. So you're telling me, Steve, verse 9, is this blessing only for the Jews? Is this blessing only for church people, for good, decent, moral people who are trying hard? We, we don't obey God perfectly, but I mean, at least we're trying hard. Or is it also for, and you can hear him also go, uncircumcised Gentiles. That's a term of contempt. These are people that are the Ten Commandments that we have in the Bible. People are sometimes trying to live their life by them. There are people out there doing their best to break all those commandments before breakfast. There's people out there like that. Some of you go, is he talking about me right now? He says, so is this deal really for everyone? Because it just feels like, come on, there has to be some standards. There should be some prerequisites. Back in that culture, when God chose Israel, to, Abraham to be his, his chosen people, it eventually becomes the nation of Israel. He, he says this, the thing I want you to do to irrevocably mark you as my covenant people is all the, the men to be circumcised. And eventually at that point, then the, the, the male babies become circumcised. I don't know why God chose that one. We talked about that a few weeks ago. When you invent the world, when you create the world out of nothing in seven days, you can decide what the requirements are to become chosen or whatever. That's what God did. He just did it that way. And so the whole idea of, okay, so back then in early Christianity, there was this idea, okay, so in order to become part of God's chosen people to become a Christian, you got to believe in Jesus, but hey, you got to do the circumcision thing. If you do the family, that has to be part of what you do now. To, to make yourself right with God, a big controversy. Read the book of Galatians sometimes where Paul just tears into this thought. But look what he says here, verse 9. Is it for only just the Jews, people who have been circumcised, or is it for also the people that are just a mess? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? So you're going, I don't know the answer. Well, you got to actually read your Bible. You can read it for yourself. Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised, before he'd done one thing right. He hadn't done anything right yet. Circumcision was a, mark this in your Bible, a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. Which means for you and I today, we have people getting baptized today. It's going to be awesome and beautiful and amazing. But we don't get baptized or come to church or do communion. Or for those of you who grew up in very liturgical churches, like the whole confirmation and, and, and confession, all the, the rituals and ceremonies that people do, 
Nothing wrong with any of those. What he's going to tell us, though, is if that's real, that's not how you earn favor with God. It's a sign that you've already got it because of your faith and belief. It's a sign and it's a signal. And so because of that, he's going to tell us in verse 11, so Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. You can put in there, he's the spiritual father of those who have faith but haven't been baptized. Those who have faith have never gone to church. Those who have faith have never obeyed one thing that God's told them to do yet. Those who have faith but have never done communion. Those who have faith have never done confession. Those who have faith have never done anything. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, who have been baptized, who grew up going to church, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. What he's telling us here is spiritual practices, rituals, things that we do here, doesn't make you right with God. There's a sign that something's happened there. Uh, before Abraham was circumcised, he already had that kind of faith. It says there and down in verse 16 and 17, Abraham is the father of all who believe, which means today that we are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are now part of the chosen people. For a long time, you know who the chosen people were? It was the nation of Israel. And the way you became part of the chosen people was you had to do their sacrifices, their rituals. Uh, circumcision was part of the deal, which meant that the People who converted to, Christ, converted to Judaism were mainly women. Dudes are going, ah, no thanks, dude. He's going to come along here and go, hey, it's all brand new thing here. You know, the chosen people, Paul's going to tell us this later in Romans. In, almost, in several different books of the Bible, he's going to say this. Not everybody who's born into Israel is truly an Israelite. Only the children of Israel who have faith in Jesus. Which means whether you're... Uh, uncircumcised pagan Gentile, or you've been a Christian, or you've been a, a, a Jewish person, if you were raised in church and you, remember, you went to Awanas, you, you, you know the flannel graph stories, is it, none of that stuff matters before God. Only thing that matters is you have faith. It's the only thing that matters. You're now the chosen people of God. Verse 13, clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law. Circle that, highlight that, mark that in your Bible. Not on obedience to God's law. That, that, guys, that flies in the face of every religion and philosophy in the world. Because every religion philosophy is you're made right with God because you do the right things. You know, no, no. Jesus comes along and flips that all and it says, but it's on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. What God's looking for is a relationship first, not just compliance to a code. And here's the deal. The reason this is so revolutionary is that when you get the relationship right, obedience will just follow. Parents, you know this, right? Your kids that just, if I have to, and whatever. When there is a great loving relationship there, then obedience just kind of flows. Now, it's not perfect. Just like you and I have a right relationship with God if you're a Christian today. Is your obedience perfect? No, sometimes you're, but there's a sense of, I want to do the right thing because I love God. There's a right relationship with God, not just having a, a, a click through the checklist. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith isn't necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. Another way to translate this, for the Bible. If you're not yet a Christian today, you think, okay, I'm coming to church. I, I, what, what's the rules, all things? 
Here's what you're going to discover. You try to obey this Bible, you know what's going to happen? You're going to do this for about, depending on uh, if you were a firstborn, tightly wound, compliant child like me, or you've, whatever, this will last for a week or maybe a couple months, and you're going to go, I can't do it. Because the harder you try to obey this, you're going to go, Psh, whatever. And Paul's going, seriously, you, you, the Bible. Obeying the Bible is the way to get right with God. <laughs> nice try, pal. What he says there is, seriously, dude, really? Because everybody who ever tries to obey the Bible finds out we just can't do it. It tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. We looked at it. Justin brought it up to us a few weeks ago. It says this. The law always brings, uh, excuse me, he says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, by doing what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible just simply shows us, like a mirror, how sinful we are. Galatians chapter 2, 19 and three nineteen are great verses. Let's put them up here. Paul says this. When I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, to show us if you compare yourself with somebody else today, you'll think pretty good. You compare yourself with this, please. And then he goes on to talk about this idea of all-star faith. He, he's going to talk about, he's talking about Abraham has this great faith. Look at verse 16. The promise of God, the promise to save you and bring you into right relationship with God is received by faith. It's given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. He keeps repeating that. It's about belief, not behavior. Belief, not behavior. Belief, not behavior. If we have faith like Abraham's. And so the question there in the courtroom, we go, okay, so what does faith like Abraham's look like? Because they say, believe like Abraham. So what does that mean? Paul's going to go, I'm glad you asked. And now a lawyer we do in a courtroom, he's going to bring out some PowerPoint exhibits, some video footage to help us understand Here's what Abraham's faith looks like. And you're going to write some things down now as we go through these verses here. It says, Abraham received the promise. Look at verse 17. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. You are not a reclamation project. You're not a, 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 an HGTV flip this house project. You're dead. And when you're dead, you're not kind of dead or mostly dead. When you're dead, you're just dead in your sin. You had no hope on your own. And because of that, number one, the first characteristic of great all-star faith, if you want to build this in your life, is you just keep believing that nothing's impossible. And that's good for some of you today going, I'm not sure I can be a Christian because I, I know my life. We keep believing that nothing's impossible. God says, look, my promise is that I can save you, that nothing's impossible. We use the phrase here all the time. I stole it from a guy back in Florida. If the tomb is empty, nothing's impossible. If God is laying dead, slaughtered, buried in a tomb, and that was not the end, if the tomb's empty, anything's possible for us. And this is, guy, this is true to trust God, not just for your salvation to get right with God. God's also telling you, hey, trust me. Have enough faith to do what I say, to trust me on things like money, and relationships, on, on sex and dating, on, on conflict, on how you do family, on how you do work in the workplace, on honesty, integrity, how you handle anger. He says, trust me enough to do what I say. And some of you are going, I got an anger problem. Can God ever get rid of that for me? Because I'm not sure. I got an alcohol problem. I got a, drug, I got a pornography problem. You trust God. I'm going to keep believing God that nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. He goes on to say here, 
even when, mark that in your Bible, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he'd become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. The second characteristic of great faith, to trust God and God's promises for you is keep hoping even when there's no reason for it. Some of you are in places like that today. You walked in here today going, I'm not even sure why I'm here. Because I'm hanging on by the nearest thread right now. Or you've just gone, I'm gone, going through stuff right now. And maybe for you right now, it's not like trials and awful and difficulty. It's just, <sighs> my relationship with God right now is just kind of, yeah. You keep hoping. You keep showing up even when it feels like there's no point. There's no reason for it. It just feels silly and stupid. Keep hoping when there's no hope. Come back next week uh, to hear about this in Romans chapter 5 where it talks about the kind of hope that God wants to put into our hearts. It's going to be awesome and amazing. Um, where was I here? Look at now. I think I'm not sure what verse is in. And Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. The third characteristic of great faith is we rely on facts. Excuse me. We rely on faith, not just the facts or our feelings. Not just our, I feel something today, so therefore I've got faith. I don't rely on our feelings. And not just on looking at the facts out there. Well, it doesn't, I mean, does it all make sense? Abraham believes in God when the math doesn't make sense. He says, even though his body was as good as dead in Sarah's womb, Abraham was 75 years old when God told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. No kids yet. And then God waits 25 years to fulfill that without going into all the gory details of biology and all this kind of stuff. It says Sarah was past the age, she's going through the change of life. It's physically impossible for her to have children. And it tells us here that Abraham's body was as good as dead. You know what they're saying there was? One part of Abraham's body was as good as dead. And there were no blue pills. <laughs> there was nothing there to help him. It was physically, his body. How are you going to do this, God? How in the world are you going to do this? Because he just kept believing, even though he figured, I don't know how God's going to do this because nothing's happening for her or for me. Wow, what's going to happen here, God? And he's 100 years old. Abraham, mark it, never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that, who's that next word there? God is able to do whatever he promises. Here's the fourth characteristic of great faith, is that you never waver. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. And he did not live with the sense of, I am strong, I am tough, I'm going to never waver in believing God's promises. You know what he said was? I'm fully convinced, not that I'm able, I'm convinced that God's able. That God can do this. Because if, if the only way this is going to happen is if God does something here. He never wavered in believing God's promises. Not that he was able, but that God is able. And he says, and, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. When God counted him as righteous... It wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him 
the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. And that's how you made right. That's the promise for you today. That's that faith with Abraham. God, I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep hoping. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to rely on my faith, not my feelings. I'm going to rely on my faith, not just the facts. I'm never going to waver in believing God's promise. And you hear that and go, that's all-star faith. That's the varsity faith. That's major league faith. I'm the fourth grade t-ball team when it comes to faith. Because truth is, I'm, I, that's just not me. And Abraham great, had great faith. He did some amazing things. He trusted God and left home, and God told him to go to that nation. God gives him a child. I don't even know how all that would have worked out. With, mm-hmm. And then it says that some years later went by, and God told him, go up on a mountain and take that son, your only son, the son you love, and sacrifice him to me. I think that's what Paul alludes to when he says that God can bring the dead back to life and create new things out of nothing. Because God, you said this is the child of the promise, so I'm going to go up there. And it says he left the next morning and he did it. He did some amazing things. Now, he didn't actually go kill him. He took him up there and God, read the story. It's in Genesis. It would be awesome to see the story for yourself. But if we're not careful, we don't read the whole story. What, what Paul has done here is highlight, Abraham's amazing. Look what he did here. That's a great sign of all-star faith for us. But now we're going to do some things where they do this like the rest of the story. Like the story that doesn't make the highlight reel at the Academy Awards or the Grammys or stuff like that. Let's talk about the real nitty-gritty, what real all-star faith looks like. Finally, go back to the, book of, uh, the beginning of the book, into, uh, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis 15, it records a time when Abraham had this great encounter with God. And God told him, I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. I'm going to do some amazing things through you. Uh, Look at verse 6. The verse we've already quoted. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I'll actually possess it? You ever been there in your life with God? I have faith, God. I believe it. I'm going to trust you. But as I think about how can I be sure? I love this about Abraham. Man of great faith, never wavered in believing God's promise. And yet from time to time he went, I got some doubts, God. That's a sign of great faith. You can have great all-star faith if you have doubts from time to time where you just go, I don't see how this makes sense. You can second-guess God and go, this, this is weird for me. We're not going to read the verses today, um, but there is a couple stories in the book uh, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. It tells the story of Abraham. He doesn't have the nation of Israel yet. He's just kind of wandering around the, the area of what is today modern-day Palestine, Israel, all that. And uh, the kings, the people who are in charge of the area, look, look at Abraham coming through and go, hey, she's cute. Who is she? Talking about his wife. Back then, kings could make anyone part of their entourage or their harem as long as she wasn't somebody else's wife. If she is somebody else's wife, we have to make her not somebody else's wife, which means we get rid of the husband. You just did it. And now you bring her into your harem. And so Abram hears that, oh gosh, what do you do? He gets scared and he freaks out and goes, well, 
Okay, so here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do. Tell him you're my sister. Tell him you're my sister, and then the king will take you into his harem. And what kings do to, with the women in their harem? What Abraham just does here, this is going to be terrible. He traffics his wife. He lets his wife go into a king's harem. And he does it twice. I got to figure, they must have some great couples therapy with the counselor. Because Sarah can go, look, I may be a nag, I may do this, I may do this, at least I never. (laughs) So here's the sign of great faith is cowardice. Abraham was scared. And because he was scared, he just, he did this ridiculous, stupid thing. Which is good news for you and me today, because I also thought about this. Have you ever done something? Paul's a guy who killed Christians. Abraham trafficked his wife twice. That's You show up at one of our small groups and you talk about doing something like that, we're probably going to call somebody on you. <laughs> Here's the fantastic news of what All-Star Food looks like. You can have done some shameful, despicable things and you can be a person of great faith. Look at me, even after you became a Christian. Because Abraham had already had faith when he did all this stuff. He had already said God made him righteous. God declared him as righteous because of his faith. And he does this stupid, crazy stuff. This is good news for some of you today because someone's holding you back right now is go, yeah, Steve, but if you really knew, I've had conversations here like, Steve, you're the first person besides the person I did this with or did this to that has ever heard about this. The scandalous, reckless love of God says, come on in. You can be a person of not just junior varsity faith, all-star faith like Abraham's. Cowardice is one of the signs of great faith from time to time. Uh, write this one down, I'll explain it. Another sign of great faith is well-meaning stupidity. You ever done something dumb? Not back in your previous life before Christ, like this morning on the way to church. Abraham hasn't had kids yet. And he's kind of freaking out, going, okay, guys, God, it's getting more years of guy gone by, more years have gone by, more years have come. So he thinks, okay, we gotta, maybe God's telling us to help those who help themselves, the Benjamin Franklin version of the Bible. Maybe God's telling us to take some action. So he says, back then they had employees, slave servants in their household, and they were like property. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to help God out here. Maybe God's telling us to, to, to take some action. So Abraham and Sarah get together. Here's what we're going to do. Sarah tells Abraham, how about this? You go sleep with Hagar, my, my personal like, servant, my employee over here, and sleep with her, and we'll conceive, conceive a child with her, and then we'll take that child, make that child be ours, like a surrogate mom kind of thing. So I guess in some ways now Sarah traffics Abraham. <laughs> I don't know. Crazy. And they have a son. Hagar does. And guys, what's going on in the Middle East today and going on for thousands of years is a result of that decision right there. The conflict, the horrific things going on today in Israel. And we're not taking sides on who's right and wrong. We're not getting involved in that stuff today. It's because of that stupid thing where they thought, we can, we can help God out here. God must not, we can't trust God's timing, so we're going to be stupid and do something that's just stupid and wrong. If you've ever done that, <laughs> you can be. If you've ever been stupid, you ever had doubt, you ever cowardice, 
you can be a person of not just junior varsity faith, but all-star faith. And then I love this. Sam Tate on our team found this for me this week. Find Genesis chapter 17. This has been, um, years have gone by now. He says, hey, I'm going to make, Sarah's going to have a child. She's in her 90s right now. It's going to be awesome and it'll be amazing. Kings are going to come. The ultimate king of the world is going to come from you guys, not from all the crazy dumb stuff you've done out here. And look at verse 17. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground but laughed to himself in disbelief. You ever done it with God? I'm going to trust God and do what you say. And God tells you, hey, when it comes to money, when it comes to sex, when it comes to dating, when it comes to marriage, conflict, relationships, when it comes to whatever in your life, that difficult thing you're having a hard time trusting God with to forgive that person or let something go. (sighs) Have you ever thought the way of Jesus is just kind of a joke sometimes? Like, does it really work? No, you're not going to nod your head and say yes to that in church because you're at church. (laughs) But from time to time, I've had those thoughts like, does this really work? This seems kind of silly and dumb. You can be a person of great faith, which means I never doubt God's promises. I fully believe in him, not just the, the facts or my feelings. I'm not going to waver, and yeah, I'm going to have doubt in the mix of all that. I'm going to have cowardice, stupidity. I'm going to laugh at God from time to time. You can be a person of all-star faith because, like those last verses here in Romans just says, it was recorded. Abraham's story is recorded for us. To say, look, you can be just like Abraham if you believe, not in yourself, but believe that God delivered Jesus over to die, raised him to life to make us right with God. We're going to sing about that right now. Uh, some great song. We're going to sing this song called Reckless Love. It's a beautiful song about the amazing grace of God, what God did for us to save us, that he recognized, look at me, this is important, the scandalous part of this. He didn't hand you over to die. He could have. He literally could have said, to hell with you. He didn't. He said, to hell with me. I will experience hell. I will be separated from my Father in heaven that had never happened in the, for infinite time and experienced the wrath and judgment of God. So you, you rebels, you traitors, you cowardly, stupid, ridiculous people, could be people of all-star faith and become children of God. That's what we celebrate in communion. Bread and juice instead symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. That's what made it all possible. His body and blood 2,000 years ago on the cross made it possible for you, which means when you come to tables of communion, you don't come there thinking, I don't, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't come here. Some of you guys hold back from, from coming to places and getting baptized or, or coming and receiving communion because you go, well, I, I, I screwed up this week. I'm a mess. Of course you have. That's the reason you come. You come with empty hands. You come with dirty, filthy lives and go, God, I need you. Because it's about me, I'm done. Communion declares, it is done. Jesus said, it is done, it is finished. We have our prayer team at the back of the house today too. You may have come in today carrying some things that are going on. Not sure what your life is, what your story is. Don't just kind of go suck it up and just try to behave better and just kind of go through it yourself. Deal with some stuff. Some of you today need to go settle up some things with God. Maybe it's confessing some sin and go, I want to get clear on that. Some of you may need to become Christians today. Maybe it's time to step over that line and say yes to Jesus and go talk to somebody about closing the deal with God or maybe just problems or challenges in your life. They'll be there in the back of the house. So Jesus, today, when we consider it, wow, 
God, when I think of my life as a pastor who should have his act together better by now, and just this week, I I don't earn this, I don't deserve this, but I throw myself at the foot of the cross, receiving your grace, not because of my behavior, but because of my faith. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.